Landing your first tech job can be challenging. Do you need a degree? Should you attend a code school? How much of this interview will actually matter if I land the job? A lot of different people will give you very different advice in response to those questions. Today's guest is Ethan Miller, a software engineer that just recently landed his first dev job. Ethan's going to talk to us about what worked for him and what that process looked like. Thanks for joining us today, Ethan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. It's great to be here. I'm glad that you're here as well. Let's start by talking about your journey into software. What motivated you to get into software development? Well, um, honestly, it was a variety of factors. I have been around computers my whole life. More kind of Frankensteining, putting them together from a young age with my dad and everything. He worked in a lot of IT-related areas. Um, so we always had like a stockpile of laptops and old desktop towers to mess around with. I always thought they were really interesting. There are you know, pictures of me using computers when I was in diapers, and that's just three weeks ago. Um, so <laughs> I've been around them quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I find it really interesting. I find the logic fascinating. I think it's incredible what you can do, especially now um, the, with how fast technology is advancing. What is it? Moore's Law, the whole, um, you can double the number of superconductors every year, that whole idea, and how um, we can somewhat see maybe an end to that without further giant advancements in things like quantum computing, for instance, which I'm also very, very interested in. Um, regardless, getting back to your original question, I have, you know, always just wanted to explore it. I think it's um, something that I find very fascinating just in general. I find that the logic makes a lot of sense to me. I've always heard that it takes a certain kind of person to be able to, um, to understand it a certain way. And it takes a certain kind of person to understand a lot of things in, in the world. But software development is definitely one of those areas that you know, it's like an on-off switch is kind of my understanding of it, at least with how far into the industry I am or am not at this point. Um, so I feel really fortunate to be able to um, have that interest in it. But also, again, the things you can make with code are just incredible. And I find that itself very fascinating. I love the idea of uh, continuously challenging myself, making new projects and um, pushing my limits on a daily basis. I'm not going to lie and say money is not a factor. I also really wanted to get into development for the administrative reason of wanting to eventually be able to travel while I work. I don't really have a dream job so much as a dream life position. And I would love to be able to just roam around there, there, there's a lot of different uh, things that that really kind of um, spurred me towards it. Plus, my great network of of uh, software developer friends, yourself included, who all helped push me towards it, um, whether inadvertently or on purpose. Over time, you know, I, I did the whole "let's try learning Python today" and then stop doing it two uh, two days later, and then pick it up a couple months afterwards. Say, oh, that was whoops, let's try again. <laughs> and then, you know, that happens and happens and happens until you finally say, okay, I'm going to stick with this. And I did. And now here I am. Yeah. So it sounds like you were interested in tech long before you had the idea of maybe I could write this software or build something. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, I didn't actually even think about coding as a, as a career idea for quite a long time. You know, computers were just something that I really liked to use and thought were interesting from a young age. And it was about, it was during college when I was like, you know, maybe software development could be a thing that I do. So you mentioned your first dev job. You're in Indianapolis. That is correct. And, and the company you're working for is uh, kind of like consulting slash like a, a, a like code shop, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's a consulting firm and there are a variety of teams working on a variety of different projects. Um, right now I'm on the front end team for a project that deals with um, a web app that we're building for the U.S. Navy, which I think is very cool. That that is really cool. Um, yeah. uh, having like high profile clients like that always feels good. And I actually started at a consulting firm, an agency, whatever you want to call it. A lot of times I miss that. Like there was one of the really cool things about that type of work was every couple of weeks I had the option to work on a new project. Oh, really? And I I probably worked with more programming languages at that job than any other job in particular, like iOS, well, Objective-C, Java, uh, PHP, JavaScript, just a, a plethora of things. Mm, that's kind of funny. I'm actually uh, somewhat in the opposite kind of boat. I, um, I, I don't really interact with that many different languages um, on, a, on a regular basis, but also, you know, I am in this 
uh, early early on position, and um, I am on this team specifically. I was hired on to this particular team that is just doing this one big project. So, yeah, uh, I'm not entirely sure of all the different nuances in the world of it yet, but I'm, I'm confident that as I go on, you know, I'll, I'll understand more and more of it, which is the goal always. Um, but yeah, so that is very interesting, though, um, to to be on multiple projects just kind of it sounds like um not at a whim but with uh with frequency enough frequency for it to be a thing yeah i would say that a lot of the work that we did was not um with any like super high profile clients like a lot of them just needed uh, a redesign of their website or a, mm-hmm. a new website that did some basic stuff like oh, okay. not, nothing crazy or like long-term contracts although we did have some i gotcha Okay. Yeah, that that definitely makes that definitely makes sense. Cool. Very cool. So, just out of curiosity, you said you're doing front end stuff. What does the the technology look like that you're using? I work primarily in React. That is, well, I, I'm a JavaScript developer. I work in React, and we use TypeScript as well. Um, my particular position <clears throat> is um, is unit testing, right? So, which is actually something I've never done before. So, this entire thing not only has been you know, a process of getting more and more comfortable with React in general, but also, you know, day one, I had to start learning TypeScript. Day one, I uh, started having to learn Jest as well and uh, figuring out things like React Test Library. And um, so, yeah, I had to jump in pretty quick on that. Um, But really, the bulk of what I do is is React. I I don't even do that much TypeScript yet because I'm focusing on testing. I, I don't develop in TypeScript. I kind of just have to understand it and make it play nice, I guess is a better way of putting it. You know, I, like I've learned what things like type interfaces are and, and, and such, but um, those are the guys who are actually writing it. I'm just making it work in, in that other kind of way, I suppose. So do you write your tests in TypeScript or JavaScript? I write my tests in JavaScript. That's interesting. I feel like uh, you're definitely not the only person I know that does that. A lot of people really like the flexibility of JavaScript when it comes to testing, but really prefer the rigidness of TypeScript when it comes to building a production application. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, that's again, kind of maybe I was misspeaking on that a little bit. It's not that I don't write them in TypeScript. It's that I primarily write them in JavaScript, but there are still elements of TypeScript in there. They're just not strictly written. I, I, don't, I don't sit down at, at the the code editor and I say, um, you know, I'm going to write this test completely in TypeScript. It's just kind of, it's JavaScript with TypeScript sprinkled in there wherever it needs to be so that it talks nice to the code, you know? Okay. And I think I've put the the horse before the cart a little bit here. So um, TypeScript, for anyone listening that's unaware, is a superset of the JavaScript language that adds uh, like a, a rich type system. Um, as well as some other small features to the language. React is a uh, front-end library uh, framework, maybe. Uh, library is probably the appropriate term. It's uh, built by Facebook. It's it's extremely popular. It allows you to write uh, a language called JSX, um, which is like HTML built into your JavaScript. And then finally, Ethan mentioned um, Jest. Jest is a testing framework uh, also written by Facebook and, and maintained by them. Um, that I think was originally built for testing React components, but uh, it can be used for just about anything JavaScript or mm-hmm. TypeScript related at this point. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny with Jest. You know, in my <clears throat> in my travels, let's say, I have um, I've found a lot of historical forums. I say historical forums. You know, I mean like 2016, 17 um, about Jest and when it was still in its much earlier stages. People actually. Uh, really did not care for Jest. It was slow and sluggish and and just kind of awkward to use, despite its whole like, uh, what it, its its whole slogan is something along the lines of like um, delightful unit testing or something, because it has this zero configuration ideology, which is good, not entirely true, but uh, my understanding is that Jest now, you know, like most software frameworks, is a lot nicer than it used to be. So thumbs up for Jest. Jest is nice. So to get to your current position, you went through um, a boot camp called Code Louisville. 
What was that like? That was uh, that was an interesting experience. I definitely lucked out because I was able to um, I was able to be a part of it when it was still um, at no cost, uh, as they were grant funded. It was uh, it was a really fun experience. I think that the setup of it was not exactly what I expected, but it still turned out to be really really you know core helpful for for what I'm doing now. I, I don't think I, I would even be near this position I'm in now without having done that because you know I, I didn't go to school for computer science. I don't have the degree. <clears throat> I you know don't have any real actual certification like that beyond the boot camp uh, completion certifications. So um, I would say yeah, the boot camp was definitely really helpful as far as it is um, it itself and the kind of experience it was. It was um, you know, it was a twelve week program. And I did it three times. Um, and the first one they the first one you do is front end, right? So your HTML, CSS, and basic JavaScript. And I thought that that was really interesting. You know, I, my understanding is that that's kind of a good place to start because you know HTML is like code flavored, but it's not. You know, it's it's Markdown. It's not coding. Coding. I'm giving you some air quotes right now. Yeah. Um, and then CSS is just. CSS is CSS, um, and, and JavaScript is, uh, you know, that was actually my favorite part. In, in fact, um, during my nights, I had, a, I had Wednesday nights, you know, you could do Monday through Friday, they had five different classes going all at the same time. I had Wednesday nights, and at the very end of the first session, they were going around the room, and we were doing, like, end of the session, icebreaker style, you know, st- say your name, and what you'd worked on, and you know, and we went all the way around the whole room. It wasn't like stand up. We did stand up separately. It was like a big, you know, getting to know everyone in your dorm floor, you know, kind of thing. And um, it's kind of funny out of I don't even remember how many people were in there. 50 or 60, maybe there were quite a few. <laughs> it was me and one other guy who specifically when we were asked what our favorite part was, we both said JavaScript. <laughs> Everyone else was like, oh, yeah, I loved the CSS or, or I loved the HTML because it just made a lot of sense to me, which is cool. Um, but I thought it was really it was really kind of funny. Um, I really enjoyed being able to get in there and actually make things happen. Um, so I kind of ran with that in um, figuring out the direction that I wanted to pursue coding in. Because, you know, if you want to stick with HTML and CSS, you, there's you know, some kind of market for that, definitely. Um, but I really liked the actual functionality of it. The classes were set up in such a way that it was like a two-hour, once-a-week thing. Um, and it wasn't really a class, like a lecture, so much as most of the time, so much as it was there were like three or four mentors there at any given time, and you would kind of you kind of sit and work on your stuff. Um, we did we were all given access to um video courses on the website treehouse which is i really like the way that website's put together it's really cool unfortunately i, I don't think my uh, <laughs> my code level subscription is active for that anymore <laughs> but uh but it is nice if you're looking for a anyone's looking for a nice easy to use resource uh treehouse is definitely a good place to start i've also heard, uh, heard really good things about egghead.io for instance but I, I haven't gotten into that one quite as much myself yet um, so they would give us, they would assign us these video tracks that we would have to complete and on our own time, it was like, uh, 30 something, almost 40 hours of videos that we had to watch within the 12 weeks. Um, and then there was also a capstone project, which brought it all together and it had to, it was pass fail. You had to meet certain requirements. Um, do you have these features? Does it have responsive design? Did you design it mobile first? You know, X, Y, Z. It's just like a, a school project. It's exactly what it was. It was a school project. It was it, it was pass fail again. You know, you do this, 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 this. We'll pass you. If you don't, you fail. But it was great to have you in the class. So fortunately, my project passed. And then I said, that was really cool. Let's do more. Let's go deep dive, right? Because when you start Code Louisville, their whole setup. And I don't I don't know how this compares to other boot camps, to be perfectly honest with you. But the way theirs works is that you do front end first because that's your dipping into the dipping your toes into the water kind of experience. And then you can choose from a variety of different languages. Like they had a C sharp class. They had a they actually had a Salesforce class too, which I thought was interesting. 
Um, they had a Python SQL class, in, uh, like a combination Python and SQL class, which I took. And then they also had a JavaScript intro to React class, which I also took, um, you know, and, and a couple others. Uh, they had a Java class as well, which I um, avoided like the plague, <laughs> just to be just to be real. Uh, Java was actually my first foray into coding for real, real. Um, I, I took a Java class in, well, after I graduated college, I decided to go back to maybe get a computer science degree to see if it would, because that was the way, that was the way I thought, you know, you had to do it. Not had to, but that was the best, or the easiest, most streamlined way to do it. That was my impression. So I took this class, and it turns out it was a Java class. And object-oriented pro uh, programming is really, really cool. But um, I don't know if it's as much my thing, unless I need to use it, in which case I'll learn it, right? So, But I really like JavaScript, and I really, really like React. I think that it's so cool how modular everything can be and how, how free-form JavaScript kind of is. But um, so I did the first 12-week class did the capstone project, completed all the videos, and then I decided, you know, it would be great um, being masochistic. So I took, um, there's a month gap in between their sessions. So because it's three months on, one month off. And for the next three months, I took two courses at the same time. So I was doing Python, SQL, and JavaScript React, right? So it was like double the workload, but it was super rewarding. And I loved the challenge of it. And now that I have those three certifications, you know, I actually started looking for jobs before I even finished those other two classes, and which I think was probably really beneficial for me to see just, you know, what what it takes to get one of those positions. I, I did get a couple interviews before my current position uh, that you know obviously I didn't I didn't make the cut for those, but it felt really good to be able to get responses and interviews. Um, and not just get flat out rejected, which I did many, many times, which is, you know, part of it. It's fine. You just have to keep, keep pressing on. Right. And, and I knew the position I was in. I knew the lack of experience that I was dealing with. So you just have to keep making projects, pushing forward. Um, but as far as code Louisville goes, the certifications were definitely helpful. So to anyone, you know, to any listener who is considering, Maybe getting into coding and using a boot camp as a primary resource, totally a viable thing. 100% a viable thing. Yeah, I have uh, three points, then we'll take a quick break uh, based off of the stuff that you just said. So I, first point, I dropped out of college before we got into any of the really complex uh, computer science stuff. I barely use any of that on my day to day, um, but I found myself in a spot where I felt like I needed to learn that stuff. So I bought a textbook uh, and like a $120 textbook, not like a $20 pragmatic programmer. <laughs> like this is how you get started with JavaScript. Mm -hmm. Like a, like a, this is how operating systems are built type book. Yeah. Um, actually it was the, the compiler, the dragon book is the one that I bought mm -hmm. uh, in addition to um, structure and interpretation of computer programs, the SICP book. Uh, and I just, I studied those I, at home in San Francisco in, in my apartment. I just flipped through the books, tried to make a couple pages each night um, mm. and made that happen. Yeah, the absolutely. second thing, the second thing that uh, you mentioned that caught my attention was um, you liking JavaScript but other people liking CSS and HTML. I feel like uh, it, it's interesting what people consider to be successful so I've always viewed HTML as uh, make it exist. Like without HTML, the content doesn't exist on the page. Mm -hmm. And then CSS is make it presentable. And then like you said, JavaScript is make it happen, like make it do stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the final thing was you mentioned Salesforce uh, for a code boot camp. Uh, just to give the reader, the the readers, sorry, the listeners, some insight into why that was a thing at Code Louisville. Uh, most certainly, I, I didn't build the program, so I'm not 100% sure. Was uh, so in the Midwest where Ethan and I are located, um, there are quite a few Salesforce dev jobs. So I think Code Louisville was taking a very practical approach and saying, like, uh, specifically in the Louisville, Kentucky area, there are a lot of C sharp and Salesforce jobs. So they were saying, hey, um, we can help you find a Salesforce job if you take our course. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And um, I do also have the, uh, you know, your, your question slated, pulled up for finding a job through the bootcamp. Just before we take that break real quick, while we're on this topic, I would like to briefly throw this out there. Um, 
as far as the boot camp goes, they absolutely were, um, <clears throat> sorry, they, they were absolutely integral to finding a job. In fact, this is my first dev job that I'm in now, but it's not my first tech job, which I got by way of the boot camp. Um, you know, they, what, what happens is when you complete the first one, the first boot camp, they put you on a list that recruiters just are constantly pruning and, and going through and checking out and seeing who might be a good fit for X place, you know? And um, so I would say that, yeah, the, the boot camp, uh, again, I can't speak for others, uh, other boot camps and their programs, but I would imagine they're at least similarly structured. Eventually, you know, I got connected with a particular recruiter who landed me a, who helped me land a tech support job as a contractor. And, um, you know, and then this opportunity came along and I, I had to take it <laughs> because I, I couldn't not. Despite all the other factors, you know, the, the work that, that I genuinely, you know, did put into it, the effort and everything, I will say that I, I don't know if I would be in the same position now without the boot camp simply because of their help in getting me a job. So as far as that uh, support goes, it's absolutely there. These people want you to succeed or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, right? So it's really, it's really nice to know that you have this entire network behind you as long as you are willing to put in what it requires. Yeah, success really benefits both parties in, in that scenario. You get a job and then they have a success story that helps bring more people into their boot camp. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that is a huge reason they did it too. You know, they're, they, they have some great number of people who graduated their uh, program and they use that as one of their selling points. Win-win situation, right? Definitely. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments to talk about, um, I guess, exiting the boot camp and if you felt fully prepared for what you were doing and then kind of um, some of the projects you worked on before you're like actually landing your first dev job. Sure. Sounds so great. We'll be back for that in just a moment. Hi, and welcome back to the Design Doc Podcast. In our last segment, we talked with Ethan Miller about his experience with the Code Global Bootcamp. And we're going to pick right back up with uh, exiting the bootcamp and what that process looked like. So I'm curious, Ethan, um, now that you've landed your first dev job, when you when you found yourself in that position, did you feel like you were unprepared for anything after exiting the bootcamp? Is there something they could have taught you that maybe wasn't covered very well? Um, well, to hit your first point, I felt absolutely unprepared. It's like I knew I had these skills. I knew I had put the work into developing, no pun intended, them to the degree that I had. And, and yet I still felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I definitely felt imposter syndrome creep in all the time. And by creep in, I mean tidal wave in. I'm not, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good interviewer in job interviews, you know, I, I feel like I present myself to, to a, a really personable degree and everything and the interviews themselves don't make me nervous. What also made me nervous though, was the idea that, okay, if I do get a job, I mean, then what, you know, obviously, you know, you keep learning and everything and, and you adapt to your environment, but there's that still that underlying whole, like even if I get a job, what do I do? Are they going to know? <laughs> you know, my first whole month working at this, um, <clears throat> at this new dev job, I was so worried the whole time. I was like, when are they going to find out that I'm just three gnomes in a trench coat? You know? And it's, it's really kind of, it's a scary thing because you're surrounded by all these, you know, really brilliant people who are who have been in the industry for five years, ten years, um, fifteen, twenty years, or more, and it's like they, this is just so normalized for them. It's really helpful because again, like the bootcamp people, my um, my my team, you know, we all want to be successful, and that mandates helping others be successful in the in the ways that are necessary. So it's it's really easy to fall into the trap of if I ask questions, I'm going to look stupid. Or if I ask questions, I'm going to look like I don't deserve to be in this position. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's definitely definitely something that I was worried about a lot. I actually had my 30 day uh, the other day with my uh, with my senior dev team lead, 
And it, it was really nice because I, I told them ex- basically all of what I just said to you. I said that I've been so worried that I'm not actually contributing to the team because I am, I do have output, but it takes, you know, longer than everyone else. And, and he said, no, that's, that's normal. We, you know, we, we hired you on knowing that there's going to be that we hire everyone we hire on. We know there's going to be that adjustment period and getting you up to speed and allowing this to really sink in and, and have you become a full, fully fledged part of it. It was really reassuring in, in so many ways. Yeah, so I, I definitely felt unprepared, not on the part of the boot camp. They did what they did beautifully, and it's it's definitely more of like an internalized fear, though. I, I don't think, was I really underprepared? Probably not. Um, that being said, luck is a factor in getting your first development job for sure you know you've got to have a company that's willing to take a chance on you unless you're specifically looking for people and there were a lot of these there are a lot of companies uh, you know in louisville who hired code louisville grads because they wanted that fresh new talent right and i did apply for a few of those and i got rejected but some people did get the jobs and it's really it's really great for them um, so I guess it really just depends on what direction you wind up figuring out you want to go. So code wise, you know, it's the same, it's the same exact thing. I, I walked out of there and I was like, neat, I have my capstone project for each of these classes I did one. So I had three capstone projects. What else? You know, um, admittedly my portfolio is, uh, kind of, kind of small, <laughs> But it's really it, that comes down to just how you present it, and um, I think it's really good to have to be able to have an informed conversation with someone, with an interviewer, um, about about it. Like if you if you make if you make a project for the hell of it, and and you have no idea what how it works. Like if if you make a project and you wait three months and you look at it again and you're like how. How does this work? Why does this work? I forgot all about it. That's not good. You know, even if it's like a small project, as long as you were able to talk through the logic and indicate that you are aware of what's happening, I think that's a lot better than having a big project that you have no idea about, you know? Yeah. So I have three thoughts uh, yet again, based off of the stuff you just said. Uh, so I'm going to backtrack quite a bit and sure. uh, go through those really quick. So the first one is um the imposter syndrome that that doesn't really go away um unless you are extremely confident so if anyone else feels that way um you're not alone but you very likely will feel that way for the rest of your career i've been doing development for eight years now that sounds right uh and and it still feels that way in fact the second point i was going to mention is um your 30 day is uh, a 30-day review um, I have a weekly one-on-one with my manager and almost every single week I'm like, Hey, am I, am I doing enough? Are, are, are we good? Um, just to check because I, I like, it's still really easy to feel like, man, I am not the right person for this or I shouldn't be here. Yeah, no, that's, that specifically is, um, is one of the things that I felt, you know, I was my, my biggest question to myself always, it wasn't just the imposter syndrome. It was like, why did they pick me? Why did they hire me, a junior dev? Because a couple weeks after they hired me, they hired a mid-level developer, right? And so, so my my whole thing was like, why would they hire me when they could hire this guy who does know a lot more about what he's doing? Yeah, you know, why? But I, I guess that was their business need. I did also in my thirty-day review find out that I am not, you know, because it took me long enough to, <laughs> it took me a while to feel comfortable in the setting just on my own. To the point where I started, you know, opening up to my coworkers a little more and actually having conversations with them, in general, about non-work stuff. But uh, I found out that I am one of three junior developers on my team. So again, like what you were saying, um, in in a similar way, it's all about communication. Whether there's communication of expectations, just general communication with your team, that's like the most important thing. For sure. That's the most important thing I think in any interpersonal relationship is open, honest communication. Because without communication in its um, 
in a proper setting, then everyone is just going to walk around with these misunderstood ideas about how each other feels about the other and and the expectations are going to be totally off between the two or more parties and it's just a whole big mess so communication is the most important thing i think definitely but sorry to hijack your <laughs> second second point there yeah just to add to that a lot of uh things people like as a junior dev that question of like why me um it might not be so much you this is something that like a lot of people don't seem to think about, but has become a pretty uh, relevant topic for a lot of the places I've, or a couple of the places I've worked over the past few years. Um, but the idea of like, how do I grow as a mentor? And if you have people that don't need mentoring, it's harder to grow as a mentor. So bringing like being willing to bring on a junior dev might not be just for you, and, or like the fact that generally junior devs are slightly cheaper and and like all those extra benefits for the company as well. But uh, for someone that's looking to grow as a senior engineer or like an architect or uh, a team lead or something, like they might need people that they can grow um, for for their job. Uh, and then the finally, the third point was speaking of mentoring, uh, one of the guys I mentored at my last job uh, would frequently say, I just feel like everyone else knows so much more than I do. And I tried to draw out some like some charts and graphs and stuff as I do. And I, I'm not sure if I communicated the point very clearly, but what I was trying to get at was even if someone only knows a little bit more than you, it will always seem like they know so much more than you. So just being slightly ahead in terms of knowledge, I don't even want to say ahead because that makes it sound like it's a competition, but uh, having slightly more knowledge on a subject than someone else will make it seem like uh, they know so much more. It's got this whole imposing, almost kind of ominous like uh, feeling to it. It's like, oh God, you know, they can do all these things. And here I am like, yeah, I can do this, whatever, you know, but it's like, oh, I can do this, 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 this. But no one's, no one's like that. You know, that's the fears that they are, but no one, no one is. Everyone's in a healthy, you know, work environment. Everyone's helpful. My team yeah. focuses a lot on growth, uh, which mm -hmm. I feel like is a very good way to, to look at things. Like, are people learning new things? Are they growing? Are they getting more confident? Can we trust them with more meaningful work? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned your portfolio and you had three capstone projects under your belt. Yes. So... Maybe let's talk a little bit about what those entailed and then any other projects you've worked on before landing your first job. Let's just start with the very first one. So for the front end class, well, the, the idea was that um, we were supposed to build a web page, right? So we were supposed to write out the HTML, uh, write our own CSS, our own custom CSS. And it had to have per a particular amount of JavaScript functions that worked. And we actually learned jQuery. I learned jQuery before I ever learned React, for sure. Um, I, it's funny because I haven't actually used jQuery since that project. It was the first and only time I've ever used it. But um, my project, it was like the page could be whatever you wanted. You know, there was there was one guy I think who did like a funny poem generator, right? And there was one guy who made like a travel page for um, himself. And there was someone. I don't. Know, it was really really. Um, open-ended, right? So I decided to mock up a front-end web page um, design for something that I, at least definitely in the future, want to build out more, which is like a, um, a, a kind of like a to-do list sort of website. You may remember my uh, the Media Tracker website, So I, um, which the idea is um, that you... You know, you make an account, you pick the categories of things that you want to look at in, in pop culture or consumer media, like uh, movies. You got a movie category, you can go through, link to some API or a database somewhere or something, and you can populate your list with movies you've seen, movies you want to watch, and you can rank them against each other and things like that. And I drew a lot of inspiration from other websites like uh, Flickchart and my anime list, for instance, um, and IMDb, of course. But um, it's that kind of thing. And I said, okay, well, the, obviously the function, the multi-page functionality doesn't have to be there, but let's just, I made the homepage for it, right? So my homepage wound up consisting of a logo that I found with some, uh, that I made with just some cool feature looking typeface. Um, I made some icons that served as buttons you can click 
I made a random quote generator on the page, and I made a button where in a form field with a button where you can type in the name of a category, and you submit it, and a button box icon thing appears on the screen with the name of that category in it. Super simple, especially looking back on it. Um, but it was, it, it was hard. It was really hard because I was just learning the basics of all these skills and to have to throw them together, it was hard. Um, <laughs> a lot of it you know, didn't make sense how, how like the file tree was structured and everything and what all exactly affects what else and da -da -da, why is this part here? What is, what's, what was the necessity of this thing? It, because it's a lot of information at once that you know, you're essentially being blasted with for the first time. But I made it work. And um, eventually, I want to build that project for real. But you know, I used all kinds of cool stuff on that. Um, I still use the 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 random, you know, uh, I use the random quote generator function for other projects. You know, because it works. Why build it again, right? And it's it's about as clean as I'm going to get it to my degree of knowledge now. Could I concatenate it a little more? Well, maybe that's the wrong word for it. Could I, uh, could I clean it up a little more and ref uh, refactor it and make it even cleaner? Sure, probably. But, uh, you know, I was really proud of it. I made it work. I even had this little jQuery animation where the page would slide up and down to, <laughs> to hide the random quote that was generated. And, but it was a great, the whole thing was a great exercise in responsive mobile-first design. And, um, and just being able to incorporate JavaScript functionality into things, writing CSS, understanding how that works, and linking all, all these things together, knowing how they affect each other, um, even from like a logistical, where do they exist on the computer standpoint. It was really cool to see something that I made appear in a browser. It was really satisfying to make it work, to look at it, and say, um, and, and be frustrated with it for so long, but that finally it just clicks and the thing does what you need it to do and it's like oh i did this i made this you know um so that first project was um a big part of me wanting to continue because it wasn't just being frustrated and slamming my head into a keyboard trying to learn all these things it was that but then i finally made it do something and so i was like well if i can do this there's there's no i can do whatever right so for the Python class, um, that one was a little different. So I, I want to talk about the JavaScript React one first, if that's okay. Um, so the JavaScript React one, I made, I believe, a, a word game, right? So in my, in my spare time between class sessions to prepare myself for the Python course, I made a word game in Python that's literally just Hangman, right? So I made Hangman in Python. And it was really cool, and I had a lot of help from you and uh, some other software developer friends of mine. I made that work, and it's, it runs in a shell, and it's awesome, and it's cool, and I still have it, and it's, it's, it's nice. So as a personal challenge, I decided to rewrite that game in React, and which completely changed the logic. That was, that was, an ex that was a whole experience. Um, it was a very, very cool experience, though. Uh, so that one, that one is a little more straightforward, right? But as a matter of fact, no, I'm wrong on that. That's not what I used for my um, capstone project. My bad. I, for the capstone project, it was because it was JavaScript. That's right. I'm sorry. Because it was JavaScript React, um, it, was, it was very similar to the front-end class. Capstone, where you had to make a page for something. Only this one, you had more rules that said, well, you have to do this React thing, this React thing, and this other React thing, and make it work. And I was like, okay, I can do this. So uh, that's right. We had to pull from API endpoints. So I, um, which you helped me figure out and um, helped me write the code for and figure out how that all worked together. Right. So that was um, it was dad jokes, cats, and podcasts, <laughs> and. You know, I had multiple pages, and I was allowed to use Bootstrap for this one, so I slapped that on there immediately because I, I'm not a CSS person. It's not that I don't like design. I find it very interesting. I just, it was my least favorite part. So I used Bootstrap, and I had multiple pages, one of which 
pulled from an API that created random dad jokes, right? Just little silly puns or whatever. Um, I had one that pulled up pictures of cats from an API that was literally just images of cats. And I used your um, Porios, I believe it was called, mm-hmm. and um, made a third page that pulled up information about podcasts from a, from, from a database. And that was the capstone for that. How did you find those APIs? I, um, I don't exactly remember ex- like perfectly exactly how I found the APIs. I think I just, I, I just kind of Googled around, you know, I was like, what do I want to use for my APIs? I figured, okay, well, I got to make one that pulls up pictures of cats. So I think I literally just go- uh, Googled cat image API or something. And I found one that was free and didn't super like um, bottleneck your requests or anything. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just using it for a project, so I don't need to make a thousand requests to the to the thing. Um, and I just, I just looked around. Honestly, that's the only, that's the best way I can say it is that I just plain looked around. Yeah, if you find yourself looking for APIs in the future, uh, there's a, I guess, a company that uh, I started using a while back called Rapid API. Mm. They actually, I use them uh, when they were, uh, I think, Mashape was okay. the name. Um, but I think Mashape got bought by Rapid API or something. Right. I, somehow they've joined forces. Um, but it basically is just like a massive database of APIs. And instead of uh, like hitting the API directly, you hit Rapid API as like mm. a proxy. Um, it's really cool. Also, one of the benefits there is if you ever build an API and you want to charge people to hit it, like you can integrate with Rapid API and list it in their their database. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny now that you mentioned that. I do still get emails from Rapid API. Because in my, again, in my travels, I did find, um, I did come across Rapid API, and I do believe I used them for at least one of those. So, yes. Um, I guess now that you have jogged my memory with it, <laughs> it's been so many moons ago <laughs> at this point. Uh, yes, Rapid API is an incredible resource for that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that was the second project. And then the third one, and honestly, even though I love I love JavaScript and I love React, despite that, the Python one was actually my favorite one because it was so unique compared to the others. Right, the others were just like make a web page and do some stuff, make the web page do some stuff, and um, you know, but this one was this one was interesting in that I had to use Jupyter Notebooks for the first time, which is a, a utility that allows you to cell-by-cell cell run Python and SQL script. Right? Very interesting. And, and you can incorporate all kinds of different uh, packages and libraries in there. So I, I did something that pulled from a database from my anime list, I believe. And um, <laughs> I did a bunch of math and stats using Python and SQL uh, queries to derive some data and conclusions. Like, um, what are people's favorites based based on this huge um, database that I just exported and uh, reimported as a C, uh, CSV file? You know, I figured out like based on average user rating of like hundreds of thousands of people, like what is what are people's favorite in this category versus what are people's favorite in this category? And I compared those, and I you know did some science and scientific method stuff with them and drew my conclusions and everything. But that one I think was my favorite just because of how unique the technology was. And, and, and it was honestly the biggest challenge I think for me. And that was, uh, it was very cool, but um, there's not a whole lot else I would say to that one. Besides that, it was more of a math and stats thing. That sounds really cool. I haven't done much with Jupyter Notebooks. Um, I know that you don't have to use Python. I know it supports a lot of other languages. So if anyone's interested, you can write uh, Go, JavaScript, probably a bunch of other ones as well. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Um, the, visually, you can drag and rearrange cells and in whatever order and um, <clears throat> run them one at a time, run them a few at a time. It's like you don't have to execute the entire program at once. You can see how individual pieces function on their own and then pop those back in the context of the entire thing. It's very cool. So we're going to take another quick break. Um, And then we'll be back to talk about uh, how you continue learning, making the career switch into development, any tips you have for that. And then um, just a couple other questions as we wrap up. Sounds great. Be right back.
Hey, thanks for sticking in through the break. We're back with the Design Doc podcast and with Ethan Miller talking about uh, landing his first dev job. So, Ethan, we're just going to jump straight back into it. Sounds um, good. We just finished talking about some of the projects that you built and how you felt exiting the bootcamp program. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you continue learning about technology, how do you do that? Do you use blogs, websites, video courses, podcasts, anything like that? Everything, all of them. Um, I don't listen to podcasts myself so much because I'm more of a music in the car kind of guy, <laughs> but um, there, there are a lot of extremely useful podcasts out there. Uh, video courses are also a great way to go about things. I am a huge, um, huge, huge fan of just looking stuff up on YouTube that is either relevant to what you're building or generally interesting, right? So, which is where I've learned a lot of what I've learned. Um, blogs and websites, as far as those go, I, I can't think of any specific ones off the top of my head. I will look at 10, 15, 20 different websites for one particular issue and just see how they go about solving it in different ways. You know, look at multiple resources, look at multiple blogs, look at multiple websites, video courses, podcasts, anything, any books, even anything you can get your hands on. Um, as, I think it's really less about the particular thing resource that you're using versus having that <clears throat> having that eagerness and that desire to you know sponge as much information as you can cool that's great advice um speaking of advice do you have any tips for people that are considering making a career switch into software you will get out what you put in right so if you kind of here and there, make some projects, then, you know, unless you get super, super lucky, uh, the response from whatever is going to be kind of here or there. But if you really, even if you don't make a whole lot of projects, as long as you are continuing to learn and you have that flame, right, um, it's, it's, really, it's really important to stay hungry. I think it's really important to stay interested. Um, and this, I think this is just applicable to a lot of other areas as well that aren't even software development or technology for that matter. Um, But if you want to make that career switch in development, just know that there are people who know more than you, but that's true of anything, right? There will always be people who know more than you. There will always be people who know less than you. So you have to be comfortable. Yeah. Don't look at it as a form of intimidation. Look at it as like, that's a library that's of knowledge just waiting to be tapped. Absolutely. It's just, it's literally sitting there, uh, you know, <laughs> developers are always happy to talk about developing, you know, artists are always happy to talk about art. People who love what they do are always happy to talk about it and share that knowledge. And if they're not, then they're a, as far as I've been made aware so far, kind of an abnormality, an outlier, uh, and B, the person standing next to them will be more than happy to help you. So um, there is always more information to be had. And even the people who have been doing it for 30 years are still learning every day. You know, and that's just the way, you know, life kind of works. <laughs> You're constantly learning things and software development is far and away no exception. So if you want those challenges, then it's definitely a great field to pursue. The software landscape changes so frequently that it is it is like a, a pretty large effort to stay up to date. So communicating and sharing information and knowledge is a really great way to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And developers are always more than happy to do so. If I completed a boot camp um, and I'm struggling to find a job, uh, do you have any advice for me? I do. It is be persistent. It is be persistent. I know how easy it is firsthand now to get discouraged. You know, there, there were a lot of interviews that I had that I made it past the phone screen where I was there in person talking about my projects, discussing um, salary, discussing what I'm able to do, what they need out of, a, out of an employee, out of a developer. And we were getting to those points where it's like, okay, you're one of the, you're one of the candidates, right? And I still wouldn't get the job. Um, for whatever reason, you know, maybe lack of experience or or something like that. But um, you know, you just have to keep keep on going. If you if you fall flat, you stand back up. You know, you fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. Because 
there, there are two things, there are two choices you can make. Well, there's one choice you can make that is two options, rather, is a better way to say it. You can choose to be proactive, or you can choose to be reactive. And if you choose to be proactive, opportunities will continue to come your way. You just have to, again, be persistent, seek them out. And, you know, if you, if you get rejected from the first one, five, 10, 50 jobs, that doesn't mean every job in the world is going to reject you. And plus, over time, you got to keep building your portfolio, right? So, and keep, keep learning, keep building things, um, keep learning more about how to code, what it is. Um, if you're looking for a specific job, write things that are specific to that code base, right? So if you're, if you're looking for a back-end job, maybe start writing PHP and understanding how APIs work, right? Um, it's just the nuances are important, the details. But also, you have to keep in mind that there's a culture fit aspect too, because that's something else I've been, I've been made extremely aware of, is that a large portion of it is culture, right? So, you know, a lot of companies, my understanding is that you can have pretty decent skills, even bordering on like mediocre in some cases, not mediocre, but like not super, you don't have to be like an incredibly skilled, multi-talented super developer when you're just starting at a, at a junior dev position. Absolutely not. Um, but even beyond that, if I was hiring someone, and this is true of any job really, but it's especially true in this industry is my, is my understanding of it. I would rather hire the guy with pretty decent skill, who is an excellent culture fit, than the, uh, the ass who is rude to everyone around him and has a superiority complex, but can do anything, right? I, I would much rather take the first guy. He sounds like a lot more fun to hang out with and, uh, and work alongside and have on my team. So really, it's just, it's just about finding the right place. Right, You can get rejected and rejected over and over and over, but the second you get a job, you've gotten the job. That's it. Um, One thing I see a lot of people do is they'll interview and then get discouraged, and then they'll either stop interviewing or mm -hmm. they'll just like send their resume out to 25 other companies. Yeah. Um, I urge people to consider another step in between those where you reflect on your interview and maybe write some like notes on how you thought it went and what you could do better. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of times, like maybe you do have the, the technical chops that they need, or maybe you can prove that you, you can grow as an engineer and that's what they're looking for, but something just doesn't work out when that happens. Write down your thoughts in the interview and like, be honest, no one's going to read them except you and then figure out what you could do to improve the next one. And whenever you go into your next interview, focus on that. It's, a little unfortunate, but interviewing itself is an art and like a skill and like all skills and art forms, it requires practice. Absolutely. It absolutely does. Even if you're talking to yourself in a mirror or, or, or um, get one of your friends to mock interview with you, that's in extremely helpful. I, I would also like to mention as far as interviewing specifically goes, and th this is, this is a very, very important thing I find. Um, if you get, let's, okay, let's say you apply for 10 jobs, right? And you get rejected from all 10 jobs. You apply for job number 11, and it seems like it's going a lot better, right? But something feels off about it, but, but maybe they extend an offer to you. Don't necessarily take a job just because it's a job. I mean, maybe for your first one, it's a little more acceptable and understandable to do so. But I guess what I'm kind of getting at is in your interview specifically, the interview is not just them interviewing you. It's you interviewing them. You've got to ask questions. You've got to ask about what they do. You know, you've got to ask about what their culture's like. You've got to ask, you know, at the very end, I always make sure to, I, I actually, I think I ask more, <laughs> historically, I think I've asked more interviewers questions than they've asked me. Um, and at the end, you've always got to say, well, I always, you don't have to, but I always make sure to say something along the lines of, look, is there you know, any information that I left out that you, you need from me? Um, do you have any other questions for me? Is there anything I can clarify for you? Is there anything else you, um, that you think would be beneficial? Do you have any concerns about me as an employee? Is there anything that you would say, I, um, 
would need more or less of, or do you do you see any problems further down the road? Um, but you've also got to ask about the company, and it's also important to research the company before you go into it. You you have to go in informed, confident, and ready to grill these people as hard as they're going to grill you. That's because that's it. You're not you're interviewing them for a position that you're going to be stuck in for X number of hours a week. Um, being around them all the time, you want to make sure it's a good fit for you too. That is, <clears throat> that is just as important, if not more so. So make sure you ask your interviewer questions too. There are tons of great articles and resources out and about that I personally have compiled. Quite, I have a list of questions that I have printed out and I take it with me alongside my resume to every interview that I have especially in software development and, and the tech industry. I take it to every interview and I go through the list. And I, I have them conversationally, chronologically ordered and everything. And I'll go through the whole thing because I want to know their thoughts. I want to know what makes their company work. I want to, I want to know if this company has any problems or, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest things I ask that always gets the, you ever watch uh, Hot Ones and the, and the guest will be like, Sean Evans, how do you even know that about me? You know, um, it's always really kind of rewarding in its own way to see the look on interviewers faces when you ask them what are the biggest company uh, what are the biggest challenges that this company currently faces you know because a lot of a lot of interviewers they'll take they'll take time and think about it and you'll see this puzzled look on their face because nobody asks that you know it's not about the shock factor you do genuinely want to know that but it's about really getting in there and um and understanding what you're getting, what you would potentially be getting yourself into. So not only do you have to have that um, confidence going in, but you also have to make sure that you know exactly what's going to, what the result is going to be. You go, don't go into an interview assuming, oh, you've got this, you know, I'm definitely getting this job. Do that for your confidence, but don't do it to the point where if you do get rejected, you'll beat yourself up too hard over it because you don't want to do that. Like you were saying, Brad, you can... You know, if you if you have one interview that you fail and you and you stop interviewing, well, guess what? You're definitely not going to get the job because you're not doing interviews, right? Because um, if you choose, you know, you can choose to be proactive or reactive. And if you choose to be reactive, yeah, you've still made a choice. You know, in the words of Getty Lee in Rush, you know, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice, man. And and if you choose to do that, then yeah, nothing's going to happen because you've chosen to stop. So you have to keep going or else nothing will happen. There's no chance that you 100% will not get an interview if you, uh, you, you won't get a job if you don't interview. So you have to keep pushing forward, even if it wears you down to the point where you think it's, you know, no return, right? But you got to be persistent. I've been, uh, I've been rejected plenty of times at this point. But once you get the one job, man, you're in. Yeah, I think that's really good advice overall. I would just amend um, one of the things that you said earlier about uh, like everyone's financial situations are a little different. So if you like, if you get an offer and it feels a little off, and if you can hold out and try to find something better, I'd recommend it. But uh, sure, yeah, you, you got to do what you got to do. Oh yeah, no, definitely. It's it's funny because as soon as I said that, I was like, wait a minute, I should have said that differently. <laughs> um, no, definitely. If look, and I mean, I I, I got lucky because I now have a job that I do. I love all my coworkers. I really love the environment that I'm in. And, you know, it's, it's the first job. So I didn't feel like I was settling, but I did take it. As soon as they were like, do you want this job? I was like, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, if I may also amend and try to rephrase that, take the job if you need the job. But, um, you know, if there is something better, if there's a better culture fit and the, and the salaries are, you know, same ballpark, pretty, pretty close. I would, I would take at this point, I think I would take, if I had two salary options that were like, I don't know, $5,000 apart or something, I'd take the lower one if it was a better work environment. Yeah, definitely do a cost benefit analysis on like all of your options and, and say like, what do I get out of this and at what cost and figure out which one mm -hmm. is best for you. Absolutely. But I, I guess ultimately it's just be persistent. 
So, Ethan, if people are interested in following you or your work, where can they do that? Do you have a GitHub or Twitter handle, a personal website, anything like that? I do have a GitHub. Um, a personal website is something that I still need to create at this point now that I, I suppose, can. Um, as far as a GitHub goes, you can find me at, uh, at E-T-H-D-M-I-L-L, just a concatenation of my name, right? So, um, yeah, E-T-H-D-M-I-L-L is going to be my GitHub. I don't really use Twitter so much anymore, um, so I wouldn't even worry about that one. But GitHub's going to be the b- best place to go. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that wraps it up for this episode of the Design Doc Podcast. Thanks for your time today, Ethan. Absolutely. Thank you as well. It was great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. If you're interested in following your host, you can do so on Twitter by following at Brad Seipert. That's B-R-A-D-C-Y-P-E-R-T. Uh, you can find me under the same username on GitHub or join my mailing list at bradseipert.com. As always, you can find the design doc anywhere that podcasts can be heard. Oh, and just a reminder, if you have a question that you'd like to ask on an episode of design doc, you can go to anchor FM slash design doc. That's anchor FM slash design hyphen doc and record and submit your own questions to be featured in a future episode. Thanks for tuning in.